Hi, this is Donna Otto, and I don't know about you, but I've heard Ecclesiastes read so many times in my lifetime, but I'm struck with the five lessons that I'm about to offer to you on the subject of training the will of your child. I've talked a lot about the will of a woman, and I've said for decades, an unruly mother cannot expect anything other than unruly children. And dear King Solomon, he says, for everything there is a season, every matter under heaven, a time to be born and die, to plant and pluck up, to kill and to heal, to break down, to build up, to weep, to laugh, to mourn, to dance, to throw stones, to gather stones, to embrace and to refrain from embracing, to seek and lose, to keep and throw away to tear and sow, keep silence and speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And I have been praying for you regarding these five lessons, that it's a time for you to listen to the Lord about the possibilities of reparenting you and then what you might change in your parenting style for your children. Today is day three of our series in Training the Will of a Child. Home is holy ground. This phrase is the subtitle of one of my favorite books. (laughs) That's kind of funny to say because I wrote it. But it's a book called Finding Our Purpose as a Mom. We are in the middle of this, and home can be holy ground. But it should be happy ground and orderly ground and healthy ground. In this session, I distinguish the difference between crushing and breaking the will of a child. The Minnesota report that I give reference to in this show will shake you up a bit. Remember this lovely quote, which has been so meaningful to me for decades. A leader, and you are mom, is someone who makes you do what you don't want to do so you can become the person you want to become. I'm going to start with just a few minutes on home being holy ground. Uh, The book that I wrote, Finding Your Purpose as a Mom, the subtitle is Building a Home on Holy Ground. And I just want to say that in light of raising and training children, the environment of your home is really important. It's really important. I, I would give you some characteristics of that home today, But I want to just give you one characteristic and tell you how important it is that it filters down, and that's order. And now I'm not talking about Pat's and my style of organizing the kitchen and making sure we know where everything is and helping our children be prepared to head off to school with the things and equipment they need or paying the bills on time in an orderly fashion. I'm talking about the principle of order. And the principle of order is understanding the biblical truths of the hierarchy that God planned. Is your home a place that understands that order? Are are you first and foremost living, practicing in your relationship, in your husband's in your relationship, in your relationship to your children, the hierarchy that God planned, which is God above all things, first and foremost? Man, husband, man, above wife. 
Does that make him more or less important or valuable? It does not. But when the buck stops, when the decision has to be made, and you've dialogued and discussed it, and you're not in agreement, let him choose, even if he chooses badly. Let him choose. That's the hierarchy of God. I didn't make it up. You don't have to like it. But that's the order that God planned, and it works out very well if you abide in it. It doesn't work out so well if you choose to do it differently. Children are not in charge because they are under their parents. The Colossians 3 passage, which describes what a family is. It's a husband and a wife and children and parenting. He describes who the players are and what the players do. I picked up a magazine just this last week in a um, beauty parlor. Well, there's an old term. What do you call them today? Haircutting place? Salon, beauty salon, uh, nail salon. And it, the lead article in this very uh, commercial magazine, very trendy magazine said, I'm gay and want my son to know the truths. And it was an article about a young man who has chosen a homosexual lifestyle and he didn't marry the mother of the child, but they lived together. And I read excerpts of it. That is not the hierarchy that God planned. When I'm talking about home being holy ground, I'm talking about you understanding from your heart from your head, and in principle abiding with the plan that God laid out. God is God. We are not. He is smarter. We are not. Is it easy? No. Is it simple? Yes. Home is holy ground. Follow the order that God has planned for principles. And then, of course, I would be in favor of order with regard to finding physical order in your home as well. Okay, a couple of questions about your home. What does your home look like? Today, when you go home, try to have clean eyes, walk through it and say, what does my home really look like? Is it over neat? Is it so neat that it looks like a museum? Is it so neat that nobody wants to sit down on the pillows so perfectly in place on the sofa that if you sit on them, you know you're in trouble? Or is it so sloppy you can't sit down on the sofa because there's no place for it? Are you proud of your place called home, the physical surroundings? Are you glad to have people come into it? I can tell you, having lived the last months in this very crowded space, a desk at a place where my husband and I can have a meal together, no place to pull up people around, the, around a table, no table to sit on, two places to go to, one a sofa, the other our bed that we can sit down on, boxes and things irregularly placed all over the entire place, the garage, wall-to-wall, -wall, ceiling floor, except for my space for my car full of boxes and stuff and plastic and self-wrap and shrunk wrap and... No, I do not want you to come to my house. I do not feel like, come on over. I, I know that sense of not having the place, a welcoming place. What is it about your home that is or is not welcoming? Remember that a home is not a hotel where people come to sleep. It's not a museum where you show off your stuff. It's not a restaurant where you're a short order cook. It's not a laundry center where people just throw their dirty clothes on the floor. We'll talk about dirty clothes another day. 
It's not an arcade or an entire in entertainment center. Those of you who are homeschooling, bravo if that is your family's choice for your children, but your home is not a schoolroom. And if you turn your home into a schoolroom, then you're losing the focus of what God calls home, a dwelling place where a family comes together and they are safe with each other and they are growing in a maturation way that puts the order of God first and foremost. Your home is not a giant closet. Quit buying stuff if you don't have any room to put it. Clean it out, throw it away, get rid of it, stop shopping. Home is not a place for individual lifestyle. Yes, they are individuals who come together to be a family unit. But if one of the individuals in your family is dictating how the home lives, you've got something of that order out of skew. If the whole room is about a 62-inch television because it's all about movies or it's all about cartoons or it's all about videos or it's all about football, some one person, one individual is rising to the surface and not allowing individuals to come together to become a family unit. Home is holy ground. It is where God does his work. It is a place where your children are the most safe they will ever be if you are creating an environment that has God's order as a principle and your order as a family. If you are creating that environment, it is the safest place your children will ever be until they're where you are and they've created their own home. Do you get that? That means the work of growing them up and giving them the integrity and character traits to sustain them in a healthy, godly way is being done now. It's where they can come home and fail, pick themselves up and go off again. Proverbs 24, verse 7. The righteous man falls down seven times and picks himself up. The unrighteous man stumbles at calamity. He doesn't know what to do. We are training our children to know what to do in this a safe environment. No, it is not a safe environment for me to fail out here in these environs where I don't know them and they don't know me and I don't trust them and they don't trust me. But at home, that's where I can come crashing in. I used to say this about David, who was a, a tax attorney and he was in the courtroom a lot. And my goal was to build a place in my heart that David trusted. Now, David and I both come from very difficult um, history, growing up environment, lots of junk. So the trust lens in our life had been shattered and broken, and it was being repaired as we married and started our life together. So I knew I had a lot of work to do, the same as David had a lot of work to do with me, but I wanted to create this place. And I remember thinking, I wanted him to be able to come home and say, after he'd been in the courtroom, you should have seen me today. I was so hot. Psst. I mean, I was the best trial attorney you have ever seen in your whole life today, and he would never feel egotistical or show-offy or anything. He would just feel like he could come home and say that to me. And if you know my David, he's, he doesn't say, he doesn't talk like that. But he could say that to me. Or he could come home and say, you should have seen me today. You'd have died. A paralegal could have done a better job than I did today. And he would know that it was okay. That I wouldn't say, oh, uh, are you going to lose your job? Where's the, is the security okay? Did, did your boss see you? Are you in trouble over there? How could you be such a doomkoff? 
Now, that same sort of trust factors is what our children have been brought into the world to receive from their parents. They did not come here to parent you. They did not come here to protect you. They did not come here to take care of you. They did not come here to watch out for your crying spells. They did not come here to fix you. They came here to a set of parents as a gift from God to be trained in a way that will give them the skills and character to live their life in a healthy way. And of course, in our case, we pray that they will choose, choose, because they have been trained in a way that they will choose Christ. Okay, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, Proverbs 22 and 6. Does that mean that you have the assurance that your husband or your child, I should say, is going to grow up and follow Christ? No. Are you all listening to me? No matter what kind of a great good job you do, there's no assurance because God in his sovereignty gave us choice. No one else in the creation has choice. A dog is a dog glorifying God as a dog all the days of his life. He will never be anything but a dog or a whale or a sun or a star or a mountain or green grass. They glorify God just as God created them. No choice. Man, God's best creation, a little lower than the angels, has a choice. And these children, mankind children, that God gave you, you have the privilege of training with the hope and prayer that they will choose Christ. Now, in biblical days, Old Testament days, there was a simple tradition that was done with infant children when they were born. And they would take a piece, a little glob of blood or a little drop of blood as a baby was born because they believed that this baby had to learn to swallow and breathe by a trained response. And they would put it on the, on the palate of the baby and then rub the baby's throat so that it would initiate that swallowing process, that breathing in, breathing out process. It was just the tradition that the midwife did with every baby that was born because they believed they needed to learn to do that. We don't do that anymore. We know, first of all, we do other things in the, in the um, delivery rooms. But that was to develop a thirst, to develop a swallowing, to develop a breathing, to start this baby going in the right direction. And that is the translation of the word train when we see it in the scripture. Every time we see the word train, and we're talking about training the will. We talked last week a little bit about the will. What is the will? The will is the measure of personal power. The will is the measure of personal power. What kind of personal power do you want your children to have? Do you want them to be power mongers, as in what we see? And here in our economy, we're having this dreadful picture of what power mongers have done to the economy, let unleashed. Don't you wonder who their mothers were? What do we do with our personal power? Do we do with our personal power only something that is an insatiable appetite that I satisfy of myself, for myself, for what I want? Or do I do what the Bible calls me to do, which is to have less self-interest, to have other interest, to care for the poor, to not attain wealth in a way that is immeasurable, 
the parable in the New Testament where the rich man has so much and he says, I better tear down all my barns and rebuild them and make them bigger so I can hoard some more. And that night, God took his life. Are you storing and hoarding and planning? What, what is your system? I have to tell you just a little bit, a little personal thing. I come from a family on my mother's side of real hoarders, real um, distrustful. My mother's people were Persian. They're from the Middle East. Some of the things you see in the culture of the Middle East is an inherited trait that goes back for centuries. And I watched my mother hoard things. I watched my mother hard hide the RC cola in her bedroom, in her closet, so we children couldn't drink it. Okay? Not a good mother trick, I might add. Although I do have chocolate in the top of my drawer that <laughs> no one gets but me. Uh, hoarding. It, I see sometimes in my life a little eking out of that. I, I, like, I see it and I think, is that hoarding? Is, is that prudent? Have I missed something? David's always my tester. So just five or six weeks ago, we're building this house and we're getting, they put the doors and windows in yesterday. I mean, like, if we're just going to move into that house eventually. And I thought, there's all that money sitting there paying off the rest of the building of this house. Maybe we shouldn't build the house. Maybe we should give that money to someone else who needs it. Or maybe we should keep it because we may need it ourselves. And I just had this angst about it for 10 or 12 days. I talked to my covenant group about it, and I said, what do you all think? You think I'm crazy? No, no, but we think you should talk to David about it. So I talked to David about it. And here was David's calm, settled response. Well, honey, we're taking all that money, and we're infusing it back into the economy, and so we are giving jobs for these weeks to the people who need it. My, really, a part of my nature was to hoard it. I got it. It's, let's take it out of the bank and put it in greenbacks and put it into the mattress. Okay, that's how old I really am. That's my nature. What we're talking about is taking that natural nature and making a supernatural concept out of it for our children. Right or wrong use of personal power in every sphere. The question of duty jumps out here and what is duty? Duty, obedience to God, duty, obedience to parents, duty, obedience to your community. Do you have an obedience factor to the community you live in, yes or no? Some of you would say no, and some of you would be on the corner at Shea and Scottsdale Road with a big sign that says, if you love freedom, honk. And then the whole thing about the um, ticketing, what do you call that? photo radar okay now you may or may not like photo radar and I hope if you don't like it you found out what it is you don't like and what are the proper vehicles to make a complaint about it but you have a duty in your community to do what drive the speed limit and not put some special gadget on your car that detects the photo radar so that you can drive fast when you want to except when the photo radar is there and then you can do because there's a beeper that sends off I I know a guy who has one of those four hundred twenty five dollars he paid for it he said oh, I saved in two tickets that is not duty to your community and duty is not a word the 21st century post uh, Christian culture likes. I want to suggest that you introduce it to your children. Personal power, what is their will? To choose what God is pleased with, not what they are pleased with.
to choose what God's word describes the hierarchy and plan for our lives. And that does not include self-consumption. You do not want to break or crush the will of your child. There's a huge difference between breaking and crushing. Breaking causes pressure. This is just not semantics. This is a pressure that is the opposite of freedom and safety in their home to learn. I have to tell you that I used authority and control to run my daughter's life in the early days of her life. I didn't know any better. I pressed her to do what I told her to do out of authority and control. That is breaking and crushing. That is causing external pressure. And it will give you a trained, um, a rote behavioral response. And that's a part of training. But it will not give your child the freedom to leave your environment and make the right choice. So ask yourself, am I crushing? Am I pressing? Am I controlling? Am I using my authority in uh, wrong ways? Or am I tra training for the sake of their choosing properly? I suppose a little reality discipline would fall in. The consequence of their failures have to be played out. This lesson is not about discipline. We will do a lesson about uh, spanking and not spanking and discipline. If you choose wisely, the scripture tells us, we will have less difficulty in life. That's a promise. That's a promise. If you choose wisely, we will have less difficulty in life. If you choose, he tells us ahead of time. He gives us the information up front. He doesn't withhold it from us. Do you know that the Bible tells us very clearly you have a choice. Choose heaven or choose hell. There's no surprises. When God comes, it won't be a surprise to the majority of the world. They will have heard and have been given the option to choose heaven, eternal life of Jesus Christ, or hell separated from Jesus Christ. He doesn't surprise us with it. And that's what you're doing with your children. You're giving them an opportunity to learn how to choose. So you're giving them the right side and the wrong side. You're giving an opportunity to choose and fail, to come home, fall down, pick themselves up, and mama and papa are there to pray for them, encourage them, and give them another chance and send them out to try it again. Know your children. We'll do a lesson this year on knowing your children. Do you know these little children, how they're made up? Do you like one more than the other? Do you like the personality that's more like you or less like you? I promise you, the one that's less like you will teach you the most. The one that's more like you, you'll probably try to favor. You don't mean to do it, but you do it. Do you know your children? Do they respond like a, with a carrot or a stick? I'm a carrot. I'm a carrot. Dangle something out in front of me that I like and want. I'm just going to follow you right there to nibble on that carrot. Don't take a stick after me and say, if you don't do this, you won't get it done. I'm just going to fold my arms and be a brat about it. So do you know your children? Now you have to train your children that there are both. There are going to be both scenarios in life. There will be times when it's a stick and they've got to respond in a way that pleases God. Do not teach uh, or train your children that, that when they choose wrongly, they will be crushed. Rather, train them to know that when they make a mistake, there is a safe place for them to come back. Training the will is not breaking the will. The measure of will power is a personal power. The right or wrong use of that personal power will affect your child for all their lives. 
Your job is to guide and guard them so that they learn to choose. And they need to learn to choose in a way that manifests their unique creation of God. They're not cookie cutters. They didn't just all stamp out and look the same. God didn't. He never made two of us alike. He never made two of us alike. The book that I wrote with um, Kay Arthur and Emily Barnes, The Unique Woman, I love the content of that book. Um, I love the conferences that we're doing because what we're saying to women is here are the broad principles, but go out and do it your way. Be uniquely you. Don't be afraid to, to choose something different. Don't be afraid of color. Don't be afraid of variations. Don't be afraid of how you'll manifest it. You, the mama. And then don't be afraid of how your children will manifest it. As long as they understand that that is within the parameters of what pleases God. Do not break their spirit. Use the same method that God uses with us. And that is long-suffering and patient. Long-suffering and patient. I think this is one of the reasons why I believe so strongly in the full-time job of being a mother. It is very hard to be long-suffering and patient in a restricted period of time. If I've got to hurry it up and get this lesson taught, if I've got to show you and train you, because I have three and a half minutes, and you've heard me say this, those of you who have been around, never tell your children, hurry up. Children, children don't know hurry up. They don't get it. They're going to have to get it soon enough. Why hurry them up so now? Samuel sitting there eating his yogurt in his pajamas has no idea in 12 minutes he's going to have to be dressed and get out in the car to get to church. Doesn't get it. He doesn't have to get it. That's what you're to get. Don't put all that on them. And if you're doing so much that everything is hurry up and you are a full-time stay-at-home mom, reconsider. Reconsider. We'll talk about priorities in a couple of weeks. Remember that the definition of a leader, which is what you are as a mother, is a someone who makes you do what you don't want to do to become someone you want to become. That's what you, that is exactly what you want for your children. A, a leader, a mother, is someone who makes you do what you don't want to do so you'll become what you want to become. You'll become the person that God wants you to be. No child wants to be obedient. At the heart of what we want is we want our way and we want it now. This whole training process, you train them to wake up in the night, you train them to sleep at night. You train them to sleep with a light on, you train them to sleep in the dark. You train them to sleep with music, you train them to sleep in silence. You train them to have their bottle in your arm or in the bed. These, these are all trained experiences. You do it. You've set the tone. And so this training involves making them do some things they don't want to do. It's the very training that God does with me. I want to do it my way. I still want to do it my way. I am absolutely certain of my priority that Christ is the most important thing in my life. I have no question about that. None. Yet... Regularly, I encounter these moments when I say, I don't want to do that. I'd rather do this. I don't want to get that done. I've said yes to that, Lord, but I don't want to do it. I've given my word, but I don't want to show up. And that is the angst of the natural man. What I'm asking you to do is train the natural man to behave in a supernatural way. In a supernatural way.
Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it an uncommon day in being a leader. Thank you.